I said, Moses, why am I not getting a play? He says, young fella, you fat and you lazy. I'm like, what? He says, you fat and you lazy. And he said, Charles, you're fat uh, and you can't work hard. You can't play basketball in the NBA at 290, 300, 295, 300 pounds. So this guy who was already one of all-time greats says, I'll meet you every morning. I'll meet you every night. And he made me lose. He said, let's lose 10 pounds. So I get to 290. I'm starting to feel better. I get to 280. 270 and now I'm starting to get to play. I get to 260 and I get to 250. And this guy may help me lose 50 pounds and turn me into an all-star and a hall of famer. Charles Barkley, Sir Charles, joining the Green Light Pod today. 1993 NBA MVP, coolest guy in the world, round mound of rebound. That was a lot of fun. He also has like 14 other nicknames we found out on uh, NBAreference.com, which they do the nickname thing. And they're not the terribly most. flattering. No. He's, he's Sir Charles. He's the Chuckster. That's all you need. Love Boat, I think, was one of them. Uh, Leaning Tower of Pizza. Yeah. They were fun, and I think for anybody else, they might have been a little bit. Uh, Here, here's how Charles might respond to some of those, as you will hear in a bit. Man, fuck that shit. <laughs> he he was totally. You know, it's funny. It's amazing. He doesn't let it fly more on uh, inside the NBA, like accidentally. A lot of F's, a lot of S's, a lot of great stories. Oh, it's a terrific he's interview. He's awesome. He's awesome. Love Chuck. Most people love Chuck. But yeah, anyways, we have him on in a few. We're going to clear the uh, dance floor for him, and we're going to do our little open. Where are we starting? Elgin, Illinois. Hello! <laughs> Man, I got to tell you. <laughs> I got to tell you. Holler at me. Not much to holler about. No offense to Elgin. I'm sure it's lovely. I'm sure uh, you know you guys are probably considering yourselves from like Chicago more than anything when I looked on the map there. There's just not a lot listed as far as things going on in Elgin. I think they filmed a few scenes in movies and that sort of thing. Like it's a it's 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 a scene for that. But but there's no famous people, notable people from Elgin. How's that possible? There are a few. Who? Meredith Gunter. Really? Yeah. She's from Elgin. Yeah. Eighth largest city in Illinois. Uh, yeah, I know. Thirty-five miles northwest of Chicago. But more importantly, if you're naming cities, it just it has a nice flow to it. Elgin, Illinois. Yeah, it's not bad. And flow, there's a river running right through it. The fox. No Brad Pitt. Don't care for foxes. I don't think you're fishing out of that river. You're not wading in the banks of the Fox River. I mean, it's running through Chicago. Layup line today. Here I Come by Barrington Levy. I'm just trying to infuse a little little reggae on this uh, Thursday afternoon. I can't. Whoa. 
Barrington Levy's the man in actuality. I just had to pick. Uh, you know, we kind of sometimes you run out of songs here. You, you, you hit a wall creatively, and so I hope you enjoy some reggae. Barrington Levy. I first heard Barrington Levy as a teenager uh, listening to Shine, which was. Uh, if you remember the song, it's uh, Shine On. No, no, Shine is a rapper. He moved, ex- was extradited. He went to prison. Then he then he went and ran for office in an island country in the Caribbean. He's had a pretty interesting life. Shine, Barrington Levy was on the hook of probably his most famous song, Bad Boys. He was on the Puff Daddy label, and then they fell out. This is when Puff Daddy was Puff Daddy. I could be butchering the story, but. That's where I first heard uh, Barrington Levy was on the hook of Bad Boys. And if you're my age and you uh, went outside as a teenager, you might remember that song. A couple birthdays. Chris Christopherson, birthday this week. You've heard of Chris Christopherson. Musical artist. Chris Christopherson, the coolest show. I don't know what the best show I've ever seen, like, you know, but the coolest show I've ever been to. It was a great show. I just can't give it that title. But it was one of the most moving concerts I've ever been to because obviously Chris Christopherson turned 85 years old this week. I saw him five years ago with my buddy Kenny here at the Paramount. It was just him, a Persian rug, a, a, a guitar, and a microphone in a dark auditorium. And it was one of the most like moving things I have seen musically. Happy birthday, Chris Christopherson, 85 years old. Also, Eric Carl. Do you know who that is? You no. wouldn't. You wouldn't. Neither would I. But I happen to sometimes look up uh, books that my kids love and I love on YouTube on nights where I just want to like, mix it up. I don't feel like reading the book, which is hypocritical of me because I have a bunch of reading uh, initiatives under the umbrella of my foundation. I like to hear the author narrate it sometimes. Very Hungry Caterpillar. Hmm. by Eric Carl. Uh, my man is, I think he was born in like 1925, I saw that, so he's getting up there in age, but Eric Carl, wherever you are, thank you. Very Hungry Caterpillar maybe my favorite book. I mean, like as far as like children's books are concerned. When I was a kid, it was Giving Tree. Now it's Very Hungry Caterpillar. A lot of special evenings. You, you don't like Giving Tree. It's too deep. We've talked about this. No, no, no. I, uh, Eric Carl died May 23rd of this oh, year. Oh, well, he's, he's dead. So I'll tell that to Waylon. So we just missed him. Uh, a month ago. I think he's in the part of heaven where they can still hear podcasts. Eric Carl, thank you for a Very Hungry Caterpillar and the many other books that you've written and happy birthday to Eric Carl. Yeah, today, very much today, June the 25th. I cannot, but they need to put a little like uh, on the celebrity birthday thing, they need to put a little like cross next to him. You know that little cross oh. they put for people like to make the Hall of Fame or that sort of thing oh, on basketball oh, oh. reference? You're talking about a little uh, little uh, annotation. Yeah, annotation, yeah. man. Like, hey, not cross him out, dude. No, I thought we were talking like Jesus. I'm talking about a little crucifix. I, how about an asterisk? It could be an asterisk. I don't know. That's He's dead. Eric Carl's dead. <laughs> My, my kids' dreams are crushed. The caterpillar's dead. You know, it's interesting. Eric Carl's dad's name was also Eric, but spelled differently. E-R-I-C-H was his dad, and then he had a son named Eric, E-R-I-C. It's a little easier to pronounce if you're trying to read the author. Hey, you want to do Good, Bad, and Ugly? I sure do. Okay, cool. Fire away. Uh, well, I, the obvious good this week, if you're a football fan, is that Carl Nassib 
defensive end who uh, plays for the Las Vegas Raiders, formerly of the Bucks, and I think a couple other teams, but a good solid vet. At this point, more of a veteran rusher contributor in Vegas. Uh, came out of the closet. He is gay. He talked about that at relative length, and I just remember thinking, like, good for him. I'm so excited for for Carl, and good for anybody, uh, you know, who has the courage to come out and uh, live in their truth, and you know, tell the people they love, uh, tell people in the case of Carl Nassib that cheer for him, uh, who he is. I mean, and I'm I'm sure he would tell you this. It's not a hundred percent of who he is. It's part of who he is. And so I'm excited for him to be able to share that. And you know, we we spent a lot of time this week talking about the delineation between first active player to come out of the closet and then like first drafted player in Michael Sam. You know, I, I don't think the the language is as important. And I think as Carl said, he hopes that one day this isn't a big deal. You don't have to make announcements like this. I think guys will support him. I really do. I think he's a good player, and I think all guys care about in a locker room for the most part is that guys can play. I would say if you're asking what the homophobia rate in the NFL is, I'd say, I don't know, look around. Homophobia doesn't have an an ethnicity. Homophobia doesn't have an occupation. Homophobia is everywhere. And I think that like when you look at the NFL, it's saying like, because it's this big macho place, it's it's not going to work for him in locker rooms. You would love for it to get to a place where guys feel good about living in that truth inside and out of that locker room, you know what I mean? And I think what Carl's doing and the way he did it the other day was really great. And there's no right way to do it, there's no wrong way to do it, but I just love the way he did it. And uh, he cut right to the chase, you know, he was matter of fact. And uh, I think he's gonna be a great ambassador. And let me say this, you know, Michael Sam deserves a lot of credit. You know, guys like him, Ryan Russell, guys like that in recent years who have come out of the closet as drafted NFL players like Michael Sam, or as guys who had just exited the league, like Ryan Russell, that stuff is great. It kind of normalizes things, I, and I, I think that's the way it should be. I think people should be able to speak on um, on who they are and live in that truth. But the thing about, you know, the one thing I didn't love this this week was, and this seems to be something we do a lot online, I'm trying to be calm about this and not like really like, we turned Carl Nassib's coming out into an argument. It turned into an argument. The, the nomenclature, first active player. Is this erasure of Michael Sam? I don't think so. I, I just think that like people don't understand it's a big deal that this guy's gonna be playing games on a team, playing multiple snaps, like 30, 40 snaps on a team throughout much of the season. And maybe he doesn't play as much this year. I mean, they, they just added uh, Yannick Ngagwe. They also have Max Crosby. I mean, they've got good players. Maybe he doesn't play a lot and people might read into it. And this is the problem is like the other day we get into this argument of was Michael Sam blackballed? And I'm reading a lot of takes talking about him being blackballed. And the only reason I'd ever look to give context to that conversation and refute that claim, it's not burying your head in the sand. It's not downing Michael Sam when people are trying to make him into a martyr. Michael Sam did a an enormously courageous thing. You know, I was on that defensive line in St. Louis when he came out, and then we find out that we're drafting him in the seventh round, which was like, this was a big deal. The entirety of sport of the sports media world like just descended upon our locker room, and upon Michael Sam. I mean, they made it a much bigger deal than it was in the locker room. So the reality is, effectively, the perception. So we have to like hunker down and figure out 
And we'd love to get to a place where we don't have to have these conversations. Like how can we best accommodate Mike and make him feel comfortable in this D-line room? And so we were there, I was there, I saw it all. And the reason I would refute the blackballing thing is because again, it's not, it's, it's not silencing people who are fighting for something. I'm the most excited person in the world for Carl. Uh, and for, for guys like Michael and Ryan and, and guys like that. And I feel bad for guys that who have for decades in the NFL had to possibly suffer in silence. But Michael Sam wasn't blackballed. And it's important to outline that fact because there will be more guys who will, will be on the fence about coming out in the NFL. And if the internet told them that Michael Sam was irrefutably blackballed by the NFL, then guys are going to say, well, that's probably what's going to happen to me if I'm less than a Carl Nassib or maybe more, or I just don't want to deal with it because the country has a homophobia problem. The media has a homophobia problem. Locker rooms have a homophobia problem. If it's there, it's a problem. But Michael Sam was given a fair shake in, in St. Louis. You know, to add context for anybody who was wondering, Michael Sam was drafted in the seventh round at the very end, a lot of people say, well, if you're an SEC player of the year, it makes no sense that you slid that long. Michael Sam, awesome kid. We loved having him. He was drafted by the wrong D-line, and I don't think he had the football build or skill set to play in the league. If he played in the 90s, Michael Sam, I think he would have stuck if the environment was right. Let's say the environment was right. Football-wise, skill level-wise, size, speed-wise, explosion, he didn't have that stuff to play a 4-3 defensive end in the 2010s. In the NFL, the game has changed. He didn't have the size of a big physical left end, but he lacked the twitchiness that it took to be anything else. And so that puts you in a bind. On top of that, he got drafted by probably the best defensive line in the league. At that time, like we had nicknames for our D-line, that sort of thing. We had you know, Michael Brockers, you know, Kendall Langford, uh, myself, William Hayes, Robert Quinn. I think the year he got drafted might have been the same year Aaron Donald got drafted. I'm not sure. But it was just a terrible locker room to, 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 to enter if you wanted to carve a rollout. There was not much room. And the only room left was the room for like a fourth end that would probably play some special teams and, and bounce around, play inside and outside. There was a guy by the name of Ethan Westbrooks, who I love. Ethan Westbrooks is an all-timer. Kid from East Oakland, Texas. Tattoo guy. Tattoo guy, Texas Juco. He actually still owes me and William Hayes a tattoo. He lost a bet uh, in the preseason of that, that year that if he didn't get a certain amount of sacks, he was going to get a tattoo of me and William Hayes. He still hasn't paid up on that, but he has a tattoo on his face, so we're just figuring like tattoos are not a big deal to him. Anyways, Ethan, he's got good size, really twitchy, can play inside and out, and good length. So like, he was kind of shit out of luck. He was the seventh round pick, but people, that doesn't mean anything, especially not in the new CBA. I can remember in the old CBA, we cut like a third or fourth rounder one year. I mean, I was blown away. So I only say all that to say, that's the layup internet take, to look back and find something and to you know fight for something. We can fight for something without without having to run with the Michael Sam was blackballed hypothesis. I would imagine it would scare dudes out of, you know, coming out when that wasn't the truth. Hey, if it was true, I'd be a hundred percent there with you. But Michael just he couldn't I don't think he had the skill set in the NFL, and that's fine, dude. A lot of guys don't. 
And uh, he definitely didn't in, in, in St. Louis. And then, you know, I had people say to me, well, what about special teams? Special teams in the NFL nowadays, because the question is obviously, like, why, why couldn't he stick with the team? Special teams in the NFL is reserved for fast linebackers, back-end guys, and a few defensive ends. There's no more wedge, you know what I mean? Like, there's no more, hey, big guys sit down there, hold hands, and take on three guys that are, are running down the field on kickoff. We got rid of that, you know what I mean? Like, so body types on special teams are changing, and sometimes guys just don't have a spot, and I think that's what happened. But I, Michael Sam, like, kudos to him, and rightfully so, people are reminding uh, people celebrating Carl Nassib of Michael Sam because I'm sure if you ask Carl, Michael factored into his willingness to come out in 2021. And that's the way this thing goes, right? Hopefully in four years, the next time or you know, in a year or in a couple months, if there's a guy that wants to share his truth or speak his truth and live in his truth, like he can do that because of guys like Michael and Ryan and Carl and anybody else who was retired before that that's after football been comfortable enough to come out yeah this is great for carl great story but there are levels to the dumbness of the arguments on twitter for instance i think there are people who are progressive yeah. or want to seem progressive look at this carl nassib news and want to say who cares it's no big deal like in a good way and that it yeah. shouldn't be a big deal right right LZ Granderson had a great tweet. The truth is saying who cares to NASA's disclosure in a year in which more than 250 anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced Bang. across the country yeah. is not affirming, it's insulting. That's, that's exactly, I saw the same tweet and it's brilliantly put. Yep. It is a big deal and Carl Nassib is, uh, is a hero to a lot of people I'm sure, just as Michael Sam was, just as Ryan uh, Russell was. And, you know, hopefully the 5th, 7th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th guy is not going to be have to have to be thought of as this big hero. No doubt about it. Well said by you. Good for Carl. Yep. You got some good? Yes, I do. Big downshift in gears, mm -hmm. if you will, yeah, yeah. to a first world problem in our, our uh, neck of the woods. Getting back into first gear. HOAs, okay, they're, uh, they're obligated to burn the money they collect from you. Okay, if there's not a, not a good reason to do it, there'll be a bad reason to do it. I've been driving on some really smooth roads over You're the right. last several yeah, months. Yeah. Just smooth yeah. roads. And uh, now we hear that all the roads are going to be repaved because what else are we going to do with this pile of cash? So, uh, therefore, I'm guessing this is the reason why our trash didn't get picked up. Right, huh? right. On yeah. Friday? No, I know. I had a trash problem too. Same time disposal. We usually love them. I got dirty diapers sitting in there, bros. Not my own, yeah, yeah, but yeah, my yeah. daughter's. Yeah. And and I, I, I rely on the on the service I pay for right, to right, come right. pick up the trash on a weekly basis. So uh, a neighbor calls me midweek, says, I, I, I know you're dealing with this issue. Your trash hasn't been picked up. Can I come pick up your trash? Hand it grab the bags by hand out of your trash bin, put them into the back of my pickup and haul them away for you. I said, yeah. I said, yes, sir, you may. And that person was you. Sounds like a good Samaritan to me. Sea Long calls up, says, yeah. I'm going I'm to come by, take your trash for you. That's right. That's what a right. guy. Yeah, no, I've had a good week. I've had a good week. You know, I'm a public servant, man. Like when I walk into a grocery store, I'm wearing a mask. I'm being respectful because the, the pandy's not over, right? Like okay. Tuesday after we recorded... <laughs> We I record on Mondays. Monday, I found myself in a grocery store. I walk right in, and who do I see? Me. You, all up in the grill of the cashier, who's <laughs> just trying to 
who fucking, is not masked, by the way. But I'm masked, okay? And we met eyes, dude. <laughs> yeah. And it was the most classic like moment of oh, we're talking about this on Thursday. And you were like, you could not wait to get out of the store. Me, the guy who got shit during the pandy all the time, you had a big divider divider here. You told me like, hey, you know, I don't know if I can come in for months, that sort of thing. You, you made me mask up with regularity. I was the one with the mask on. Well, it gets even worse. I'm about to have PETA on my ass because the rabbit was in the car. The dog. And um, she had just been bathed, a little, little cut and clean for the rabbit. Right. And, uh, you know, AC up, just running in to get, get the eggs yep. and the milk for my lovely wife. That's right. And so I had to be in and out. And as I'm approaching the door to the grocery store, and I'm going to be a masked grocer from here on out, yeah. all right? Uh, I reach into my back pocket for the mask. It's not there. I have a decision to make. Leave the rabbit in the car even longer, which you're not yeah. to do. yeah. Uh, or go in, right. which I'm allowed to do. Right. And uh, so I go in, eggs, milk, in and out in, in like 60. It was really, really fast, very yeah, expeditious. Yeah, of course, really fast. Very little chance that you would transmit a novel. And then I see your ass. And yeah, it sucked. I, uh, I knew it would come up. You start, You were like fumbling for your telephone to try to get video. That's why I ran out of the grocery you store. You ran out of the grocery store. And uh, that was that. It was like a curb moment. It, it really was legitimately was. a curb moment. It really was. And I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire here. Uh, you know, we'll just move on. Okay. But I care about other people. I'm a big society guy. Obviously, yeah, as am I, big dog guy too, which is why I had to get back to the rabbit. Yeah, and, who was baking in a car? So you were baking your dog in a car. You were maskless, just holding court at the fucking at the at the line holding, up there, holding court. And 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 you can't take out your own trash. I'm in there digging for <laughs> redacted shitty diapers. Whole 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 process this week. That's my bad. Can I can I add it? No, that's your good. <laughs> can I add a good? And then we're gonna get Charles Barkley. We'll do bad on the back end. Please. We'll save the bad for after Chuck because you can't go bad to Charles mm -hmm. Barkley. I just don't mm -hmm. feel like we can do that. I have space between my teeth. I'm getting things caught between my teeth with regularity now. I've never in my life. You know how you're always talking about Chris. You don't floss enough when you found out that I floss like once a month. I never had space between my teeth. Right. Never. And I'm all of a sudden getting like, you know, Invisalign guys. It's changing, my, it's changing the game for me. I'm it, getting things caught in my teeth like all the time. It's like when I had a bad reaction to the vaccination I got for the novel coronavirus pandemic. They're like, oh, that means it's working. Yeah. Uh, your no, immune no, I, system is, is I, firing on all cylinders. I don't know if you should fix your teeth. I hear you get things caught in them. Rather just walk around looking ugly as fuck. Things are shifting around. It means it's working. Yes, you know? it's working. It's yeah. working. It's working. Shout out to Invisalign who follows me on Instagram. Hmm. I don't know what they're trying to do, but if you need me, I'm right here. Hello, Fresh. I could be you, Invisalign. Yeah, my teeth used to look fucked up. I used to not smile during pictures, and everybody online would say, Here's a picture I ran you down to take at the bar. Why aren't you smiling? Well, 50% because I look ugly as fuck when I smile. The other 50 is you were insufferable to meet. Hey, man, thanks for coming to my wedding. Couldn't be bothered to smile in any of the pictures. Right. Oh, invited Chris Long to my, to my wedding in, uh, via snail mail. He showed up. We'd never met before, but gosh, he doesn't smile a lot. 
I felt like a piece of meat every time somebody says that to me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm performing for people. I'm like, hey, I was eating dinner. You tapped me on the shoulder. I turned my neck and I wasn't smiling. Well, it's because I got teeth like fucking uh, like a dolphin out there swimming around in the ocean. The only guy that had worse teeth than me was Will Compton. You seen Will Compton's old teeth? He's a little bit more forthright. He posts them. Pull them up. I legitimately uh-huh. wouldn't smile in pictures. And you know what the worst thing is? Your friends and the people close to you being like, I don't see anything wrong with your teeth. I'm like, look at them. They're fucked up. They're n- <sighs> now they're good. Yeah. I'm like 11 weeks deep Invisalign. Come holler at, you, at your boy here. I can, I can sell. Uh, now smiling for pictures. Chris Long. If I don't smile for pictures now, <laughs> like it's really bad. Hey, guy we met. I don't think we got a picture with him though when we met him. Charles Barkley. Nah, you gotta, you gotta, at least for me, and I would guess for you too, it's like you're locked in on being, on not being that guy. Yeah. You're locked in on being cool guy when you're in the presence of a Charles Barkley. Right. There's no, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't deign to pull out my mobile phone. But he took off, he took the pressure off us. He's that guy that like, you know, guy that the elephant in the room is that everybody's trying to be cool around him. And he takes the pressure off you, so it's easy to be cool around Charles Barkley. He has that rare ability, and I appreciate that. He was so cool to us when we met him in Minneapolis after Virginia beat Auburn. After Virginia beat Auburn, after Virginia had beaten Texas Tech. So we were champs that night, and we, we, we couldn't find a, a drink to celebrate until we got word that the Chuckster was at the Hyatt, and the Hyatt's not going to tell Charles Barkley at the bars closed? No, the bar stayed open. The bar stayed open. And I can remember at one point we were talking and it was like we, we sat down and it was Jay Billis and uh, Jay Williams, who's going to come up later in the pod, Chuck, um, and the whole group of us. Stanford Steve was there. And it was just a good little like crew. Um, and I think Lefko was there too. Mm. Lefko was there too. He pointed that out when he came on the show. Um, and everybody was sitting there, and it was a small group. And as things went on, it was like three minutes later, there were five people standing behind Charles listening to him. Then there were 10 people. Then there were 15. And 20 minutes into Charles kind of holding court, in the truest sense of the phrase that I've ever seen, there was like a, a, a pack of people, like 30 deep, standing behind Charles that had no affiliation with the table or the grouping, but we're just listening to Charles tell stories the same way he talks on inside the NBA. I think what's really refreshing about Charles Barkley is he legitimately doesn't have a filter. And, you know, I think sometimes people get upset with him about that, but at least I know where that guy stands. You know what I mean? And um, I enjoy him. I really enjoy that show. I don't think there'll ever be another pregame, postgame show that captures that same type of magic. You know, in football, my dad's crew... People really love the way they get along. Those guys, I mean, it's less polished than normal pre and post. And I think they kind of have have the market cornered on doing a podcast on TV. What just so happens to be two of the best players of all time. A guy like uh, Kenny, who's a terrific basketball player, well-known, and Ernie, who is just the perfect yin to their yang. Consummate pro. Yeah, it's hard to do a pre and post that is oftentimes more entertaining than the game itself. And that's oh, what they have going on. That's what I do. Literally, they'll throw a lob with 0.9 seconds to go. I've never seen it in my life. And I'm like, man, that was cool. I better run to the bathroom real quick. 
I got to get back here for for the post game. That's right. You know, it's appointment viewing where the game sometimes is not so much. Um, so without further ado, Art, can we call him our friend? Yes, yes, we can. I mean, we he legit liked us. Yeah, and he's 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 no longer on the video, so he can't correct us. He's our friend, our friend Charles Barkley. Reminder: stick around for the bat of the week after Chuck. What are you drinking, Chuck? Pedialyte? What's going on, dude? <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> just some water and some flavoring. I hate to taste the water, so I have to put those little, like, the sunny drops. Guy hates to taste the water. This is unbelievable. We're big water never, hey, Chuck, it's hey. National Hydration Day, dude. I, I never drink water. I've got much. I don't drink water, so they're trying to get me to drink water, but I can't drink it just fucking pure. I had to put some shit in it. You know what my dad does? I think he has the same problem. He pours a little apple juice in the top. Oh, I see. I can't do the apple juice thing. I, <laughs> apple juice don't do it for me. All right, good. So we're here with with Charles Barkley, man that needs no introduction, and obviously. I, we're both big fans of Chuck. Chuck, we met in the hallway at the Eagles facility the first time, I think it was, with Howard Eskin. Yes, yep. yes sir. that's my boy. That's my road dog, Eskin. Big shout out to us. Yeah, man. he's the best. Um, yeah, I, rem- I remember meeting you that first time, uh, and then I remember hanging out with you at the Final Four when y'all stole my national championship. <laughs> well, about that. So. We were, yeah, if you want to talk double dribble, we can talk intentional foul before the double dribble. No, 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 no. See, no, no. You, you, you can't replay fouls. You can replay double. You see, it's to replay on double dribbles. And, you know, I will admit that that was a foul. Unfortunately, that was a foul. But you did get away with a double dribble. So you owe me. But you know what? Macon was talking before he came on, and he was like, Chuck was so classy about it. Well, like, you know, we leave U.S. Bank after we won the national championship, and yeah. it's one thirty, and apparently Minneapolis shuts down. They just don't have fucking bars there. And then you say, oh, well, Sir Charles is holding court at the Hyatt. Let's head there. And I thought, oh, okay, that's a normal sentence yeah. I, I anticipated yeah. hearing in my life. And we get there, and and to your credit, you attempt to say wahoo wah. It's closer to maybe wahoo wahoo. But I was like, <laughs> holy smokes, he's two days off of one of the hardest losses of his fandom, most likely, and he's being gracious, he's being and, gracious celebrating and classy, us. and we're all we're all hanging out and having a few shots, and we had a great time, Chuck. It was awesome. Well, listen, part of being in sports, you have to be a gracious loser. Yeah. You mean because because the the person you lost to that they're probably one of the few people in the world who know exactly what you did to be successful, right? So I mean it sucks, but uh, listen, man. First of all, I never expected Auburn to get to the Final Four. Let's take that out the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know we're a football school, mm-hmm. and it was amazing for us to get to the Final Four. And uh, but that would I will say this: that was the worst I've ever felt after a loss including my own life. I'm wow. not lying. I mean, because like I can say, Auburn getting to the Final Four was the coolest thing for me. But losing the way that game was lost, that was probably the most painful loss I've ever had. I'm not going to lie. It shows you how fans sometimes act like they care more than the players. Because in, in one way, they kind of do. Because they can, you know, like they're attached, but they're not invested the way we were as players. So it's a different kind of disappointment. It's like a, we're just going to, it's yeah, it's a freak out. Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. For, listen, I, I always tell fans, listen, no player tries to screw up. No yeah. player wants to lose. I mean, I met this lady um, at a bar. I was going to one of the Alabama national championship games. It was here. In the, it was here in Atlanta. 
And uh, it was they, they were playing Georgia. And we're in the bar drinking. And this lady who's from Alabama says to me, I said, what do you think tonight? She said, well, I think Georgia's going to win. And I said, why do you think that? She said, I think they wanted more. I said, are you fucking serious? <laughs> are you fucking serious? She's like, well, we won before. And these guys, I said, ma'am, let me tell you something. Please see. That's why. That's why I always tell fans, man, shut the hell up and just cheer for your team. <laughs> no, nobody wants to win more than the players. It drives me nuts. Like, well, this team wants it more. I'm like, please stop saying that. that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, you know, it's funny. I do think she was probably speaking for herself and didn't know it. I mean, like fans get fat and happy. Like we, I got fat and happy after we won the national championship. Like we lost to Ohio this year, and I was like, oh, that fucking sucks. But. Yeah, but it, but it, you got to understand something. I actually thought, first of all, I think your coach is fantastic. Yes. But I think what people don't understand, in a one-game scenario, any fucking thing can happen. Yeah. It's not like the NBA where you got to beat a team four times. Yeah. And listen, if anything can happen on one given day. And also, sometimes there's such a quick turnaround like when you win on Thursday, you play it. You you did all your homework for a team you play on Thursday, and then you get some type of upset on on Thursday, and then you're playing a totally different team you thought you were going to play on Saturday. Same thing on Friday, Sunday. So I always tell people, I think winning March Madness, winning March Madness might be the hardest thing because in in hockey you can have a great goalie, mm-hmm. in baseball you can have one or two pitches. Like we had when we had Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson, they were the only two pitches we had, and we won the World Series. Right. But in 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 March Madness, to have such a quick turnaround and win a one game scenario, I think it's probably the hardest trophy to win in sports. You know, like in, even in football, you play the first two home games in the playoffs if you got the best record you only really got to win the super bowl on a neutral field right but to win to, but to win march madness i think it in my it's just in my opinion i think it's probably the most difficult one to win i couldn't argue with it because as the favorite it's it's a minefield you know for the favorite i would i would agree it's probably the hardest to win and i wonder if you watch the hawks and to us like listen i'm a Knicks fan i was like okay not the worst draw in the world first round in the 5-4, then uh, you're like, okay, now I'm rooting for the Sixers because of my Philly ties. Well, they kicked our asses kind of. Yeah. We blew that series. Are they making a, a Cinderella kind of run? Have you ever seen a team, because they don't feel like a five seed to me, the, the public perception of the Hawks. They feel lesser than that, but they're making a run like one of those teams that we're talking about in college basketball, it feels like. Well, last night was probably the most I've been impressed with them because to go into Milwaukee and win – and they were down like eight, I think, with four minutes to go and then to come back. I, that was impressive. The Knicks thing was not a surprise because the Knicks win all their games on effort. They really don't have a bunch of good players. They just win their games. The on Knicks hard want work. it more, Chuck. Yeah, they yeah they want like they they that, that, that's a perfect example of hard work. I'll get you so far in life, and then at some point you got to have some skills. Just in the door. <laughs> yeah, just in the door. Um, when I when I was having uh, drinks with the uh, the Knicks executive, they're like, "This is a st- series skill against will." I said, "Well, sk- skills gonna fucking win uh, because you get <laughs> skill." skill they, they, that's what they were saying. Because they, listen, the Knicks work hard. They're well prepared. They're very well coached. But at some point, you got to play basketball, right? And then against the Sixers, my Sixers and your Sixers, man, this thing with Ben Simmons, man, this uh, 
it's crazy and perplexing. Like, I'm not sure what the Sixers are going to do, to be honest with you. And I hear all these fools on television talking about, well, we got to trade Ben Simmons. We got to trade Ben Simmons. And I'm like, who in the right mind going to want Ben Simmons after what they just saw in the last week and a half? He's afraid to shoot. He can't shoot free throws. He makes $35 million a year. What general manager in their right mind is going to be saying, hey, I got to get that guy? So I personally, just my personal opinion, I think the Sixers going to have to get sit with Ben Ben. We're going to have to get you in the gym, make you shoot a thousand shots a day, every day for the next three or four months while we're out. I mean, because like I say, I don't see any team saying a guy making $35 million who can't make free throws, who can't shoot the ball. Let's let, we got to go out and get this guy. So I think it's going to be interesting, but to, to win last night in game one in Milwaukee, that was impressive by the Hawks. I, I, the Ben Simmons thing. And you said it earlier, nobody screws up on purpose. This guy's in his head. It feels like as an athlete watching, I just feel like I know that feeling and I've had it before, but not for very long where you're just totally in this mind fuck zone. And I feel like he's just stuck there. And I wonder if you've ever seen a, a good player go through something like this in the NBA that you can remember in your playing time when you're like, oh, that guy just plateaued because they paid him because they thought he was going to keep yeah. doing this. Yeah, you know, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, but my first uh, uh, reaction, and Chris, you know this, like, because you don't want to see other jocks struggle. Like, I just feel sadness. Yeah. Like, because when you play sports, you're naked. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's nowhere to hide. Everybody's watching. Millions and millions of people. There's, there's, there's uh, you know, there's 20,000 in the stadium, but there's millions of people around the world watching, like, this guy's afraid to shoot. And then when you see him go to the free throw line, you can look at his eyes and be like, oh, fuck, there's no other place I'd rather. I, there's a hundred places I'd rather be than right here. And, 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 and so my first reaction is sadness. But then you're like, you man, you got to work on your craft. We're paying you. They gave him $177 million to play basketball. You have an obligation to be the best you can be. And I think the way I know Philadelphia, and I've been on every radio and show in Philadelphia the last few days, I think what disturbs Philly the most is he's afraid. Like, at least with Giannis, he's like, he's being aggressive. He's going to the basket. He knows he's going to get fouled. And when he go to the free throw line, he might not make him, but he's like, I'm going to keep taking him. Right. Ben refuses to take him. I think that's what surprises and make Philly fans mad more than anything. Yeah, it's like at least Giannis's one move is the freight train move. You know, like, and you're like, all right, this <laughs> motherfucker wants to go to the rack. You know, Ben's <laughs> playing like a skill guy. Like, he's not. There were times where I used to watch LeBron facilitate. Well, you knew he could create, so yeah. you wouldn't get frustrated with him facilitating. Like Ben's, like that move under the basket in Atlanta was like that's just unnecessary facilitation, man. It's like what are we doing? So well, he was. He it was like, oh, they gonna foul me. I got to get rid of this. I got to get rid of this damn ball. They gonna foul me. Yeah. Then the, then the rest of the time they stick stick him over in the corner and he just stands there, and I'm like, wait, this guy's a three time All Star that you're paying max money to, and you can't count on him, this is not going to end. It's going to end badly. The scary thing that y'all said that hit me on inside the NBA was like, you literally can't hide that guy anymore, which leads to the conclusion that you have come to, which is like, I don't know who's going to trade for that, as Macon would call it, very distressed asset. The asset uh, is distressed. I mean, it's just uh, like, you know. Uh, distress is an understatement. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, and like I say, I feel sadness for the kid. Yeah. But 
listen, uh, and he, he, if you're on the other team, you got to foul him to make him, and, uh, even though it's a hacker shack situation, you still got to foul him and make him make those free throws. And it's a distress investment. And like I say, he's making $35 million a year for at least for the next four years. So what do you do? Yeah. Uh, like I say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, if you, first of all, if you're a general manager and you make that trade, you make that trade and it doesn't work, you deserve to get fired. Right. Uh, yeah. If you said you knew the guy couldn't shoot coming in, but if you give him a hundred, I think I say he got $144 million left on his contract. If you make that trade and you're like, well, we can fix him, but you don't fix him and you give up a lot of valuable assets you screwed yep. and you should lose your job. Yeah, you already so put your nuts on the table. It's like Yeah, so, so it's yeah, going to yeah. be it's going to be it's going to be very interesting what happens in Philly the next few months. Yep. Uh so how about the Hawks? Can they win the whole thing? Is that possible? It feels like a light bulb went off for you last night and you're like I kind of believe. I do not believe. I'm still on the Bucks. I'm still on the Bucks. Okay, uh, good, good. I think uh, I think the Bucks are going to win the World Championship. Last night was First of all, they had a terrible defensive plan. I have no idea what they were doing with Trey Young, you know. So uh, I hope they make an adjustment. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith in their coaching staff, but man, last night was one of the worst defensive plans because he had thirty at halftime, and they still made zero adjustments. Hmm. Like part, one of the reasons I always talk about March Madness when I, I love watching March Madness because that's when you find out who can really coach. That's why you have some of those Cinderella stories where the coaches just come up with a magnificent game plan. If that don't work, he changes it. I think a lot of college coaches can't coach a lick, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. They make zero adjustments. Like, sometimes I always talk, they run the same play five times in a row, and I'm like, well, they're going to change their defense on the third chance or choice, right? And they run the same play five times, and they never make adjustments. So last night, the Hawks ran the same play 77 times in a row, and the Bucs made zero adjustment. Trey got what he wanted every time, and it was crazy. And I was like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Make Would you please make an adjustment? And they didn't make any adjustment at all. It was crazy. What's the adjustment that you would make? Because I saw you guys talking about the fact that, like, Brooke was on him, and then people were, like, lagging and waiting for him to get into the lane. And he you can't do that. Like, you know, what you I mean? can't, you, yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. Because you, first of all, you got to go small for some reason. Brooke Lopez had seven points and two rebounds. If he's going to be seven foot out there and don't get me more than seven points and two rebounds, why the hell is he in the game? Right. Because he's playing bad defense. You can't lag that low because what you do is it, it kind of, I use a football analogy. My football friend, football is my favorite sport. I love football. I had one great day out there. Then I realized y'all were fucking nuts, and I quit after <laughs> yeah. one day. Yeah, it was bad coaching, Chris. He put me on the defensive line. I was like, yo, man, I'm not doing this every day. But when you guys are prepping for a game, my NFL friends, they tell me, hey, we're going to take away the pass or the run. Right. We, we can't take away both. We're going to take away one of them. What uh, clearly last night, Trey got the pass or the run. That's the best way for me to use that analogy. <laughs> they gave him the three. They gave him the floater. You can't give him both. Yeah. And that's the thing that was driving me crazy. I'm like, yo, man, are you going to make an adjustment? You got to take away one or the other. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it drove me crazy. I'm like, yo, man, please make an adjustment. So take either the floater away or the three away. They gave him both last night, and that's not going to work.
the Suns, man, you got to be excited because I mean, people love you in Phoenix. Uh, back from the Purple Palace days, man, it was it was it was pretty live in the early '90s in Phoenix. Was it a great it basketball was, town? It was crazy basketball town because what people don't understand is we didn't have hockey, we didn't have baseball. It was just the Suns, and, and the Cardinals really weren't there either. They had just got there, so it was a one horse town. And the Suns, man, it was crazy. I mean, it was the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. One of the reasons I lived there, and it was it, it was amazing. Um, but now I'm so happy to see them doing good again. That place is electric. Devin Booker is a full blown star. He's been unbelievable. And also, I, you know, they get mad at me on the show because I've been saying for like the last ten years, Chris Paul is the best leader in the NBA. He is the best leader in the NBA. Everywhere he go, he wins. And this year, think about this. From they from last year, they went from last place to first place because they added one guy. And I'm so happy for my city. I'm happy for Chris. I'm happy for Devin. And uh, it's just been great for my city. And it's nice for Chris Paul that they get out to that lead. And now it feels like, hey, he could see, you know, that that elusive NBA championship, which I think most basketball fans would tell you really excited to see Chris Paul deep in the playoffs. This could be the year. Well, well, listen, you know, you talk about feel-good stories. If Chris Paul were to win the world championship, I can't think of a better story. Uh, I can't. Well, listen, in fairness, you look at if Trey Young, for some reason, was to win the championship or Greek Freak, who's the greatest kid you ever going to see. Or, or Chris, it would be an incredible story. Yeah. But Chris, uh, but Chris, you know, who's paid his dues, has never done anything wrong, been a great leader, been a great player. So whoever wins the championship, uh, it's going to be a great story. I don't know about the Clippers because, listen, you know, they, they're, <laughs> they're, they're starting to piss me off, to be honest with you. Because this thing with Kawhi Leonard, they act like we're guarding nuclear secrets. Yeah. Like, can you just please tell us is Kawhi Leonard hurt? Is he coming back or he's not gonna yeah. play? They act like we like they got the nuclear code and we got to keep it hidden. Like it's just Foxborough. Say, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, come on, man. Is he gonna play or not? They're just our say, least yeah. favorite team here, Chuck, out of the yeah. four remaining. And <laughs> yeah. I don't like those stupid uniforms they have with the stupid Grand Theft Auto font. I don't. Their team is not compelling to me. I love the fact that one team's going to get the first title. I'm not a, like, hey, we need this the big markets. We need the best teams. Like, I like the craziness of it. So, I'm well, good. Well, I hate it. to, I, you know, I'm I'm happy. I agree with you totally. I hate the super team because I think it ruins all the small markets. You know, I tell people, I'm never going to Cleveland again once LeBron left there. You know, I'm never, my favorite city is Toronto. I'm never going to Toronto again because Kawhi left there. James going to Houston. Uh, I'm never going to go to Houston again when he leaves. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think OKC when Kevin and Russ left. I'm uh, never going there. It ruins all the small market teams. Yeah. That's, just, that's what drives me crazy. Like if we had a time machine and we could put the Suns from the early 90s back in, that team that made a run against this team. I know basketball has changed and matchups have changed, but what would be one matchup that you'd be like really excited to see? in that fantasy world? Dan Marley against Devin Booker. Dan Marley is the toughest hip. You know, him, Derek Smith, uh, will play with me in Philly. Marley, Mark West, those are probably the three toughest guys I played with. And Marley against Devin Booker would be must-see television. 
I think I'd hold my own. The, the Suns really don't have a power forward, so I'd have my way. Uh, but, man, Devin Booker against Dan Marley, I would love to see that. That would yeah. be must-see telecom. Devin's a stud, and Dan Marley's a stud. And Marley's a, a defensive stud. Uh, that would be much CTV. Oh, I don't want to leave out Chris Paul against Kevin Johnson. Oh, uh, wow. That that would be that would be nice too. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think both guard matchups would be worth the price of admission. Oh, for sure. I got one uh, more. Yeah, 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 yeah. The late great Paul Westfall battling wits with Monty Williams. Paul, rest in peace. Uh, I got to speak at his funeral a couple months ago. Man, he's one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, terrific coach, terrific human being. Westy, to me, uh, was underrated as a coach because the one thing he did, he listened to his players. You know, a lot of coaches fail because they're like, well, it's got to be my way or the highway. We're like, well, coach, I'm actually playing against this guy and that guy. I'm watching and playing against him. I know what he's good at, what he's bad at. Let me let me help you. Uh, and money, and I want to say something about money. Number one, he's doing a fantastic job. But he said something uh, last week. He says, I made a mistake with Chris Paul when I coached him the first time that it had to be my way or the highway, and we always butted heads. He said, I'm a much better coach this time around because I listened to Chris a lot more. And he says, I wish I had a did it the first time, but because I was a young coach, I wanted to be act like I was the boss and I did everything my own way and it didn't work out. So, man, when he said that, that reminded me of Paul Westfall. Paul's like, so Chuck or Marley or KJ, what do you guys think in this situation? So that I think, and it took money, a lot of courage, and a lot of balls to admit that. Yeah, because a lot of coaches be my way or the highway. Like, coach, just listen to me. Like, I know what this guy's. I know what he's made of. Uh, so that that would be a good matchup. But the guard matchup, all four of those guys are terrific players. I would pay to see that matchup though. Since we're on the coach topic, Chuck, breaking news, Rick Carlisle to the Indiana Pacers. Wow. You, you, you know, that just came on my screen, to be honest with you. Uh, that's what I just wiped up. Yeah. Because I got, yeah. So, uh, you know, Rick is a terrific coach. That Pacer team is interesting. They got some nice pieces. Karis LeVert, I'm a big fan. Sabonis, to me, is probably the most underrated player in the NBA. You got Malcolm Brogdon down there. They're going to get TJ oh, Warden wow. back next year. Uh, but uh, Rick's a good coach, and um, that's a good hire. You end up in Philly to start uh, your career. It's the the last draft before the lotto. Like they change over the lottery the next year, I think. It, w- it wasn't. It wasn't a lotto with my year, so maybe you're. Yeah, correct. no. So you went fifth to the Sixers, right? So you're kind of in that zone where you might know you almost go somewhere else. You know some people like you. Maybe if things fall differently, you're on a different team to start your career. Were you close to being anywhere else? Well, I knew I was going to go four, five, or six. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dallas had four. They took Sam Perkins. Philly took me at five. And six, uh, the Wizards took um, Melvin Turpin. So I knew I was going to go four, five, or six. I had no idea where I was going to go. But it was the greatest thing for me, guys, because, you know, I played about 300 pounds in college. Yeah, And I was in college for three years and I led to SEC and rebounding every year. So I felt like, you know, I had my, my shit together, but I didn't. 
So I go to the Sixers and I'm not getting a play. And right away, I, I'm, I'm struggling. And uh, I, I, Moses having to live, Moses, who I call dad, uh, rest in peace, uh, was the greatest influence in my basketball career. I said, Moses, can I come? He stayed in the penthouse. I stayed way down on the bottom. Let's get that, that out of the way. <laughs> and I said, uh, Moses, can I come see you later? And he says, he says, yeah, young fellow, you can come see me. I said, Moses, why am I not getting a play? He says, young fellow, you fat and you lazy. I'm like, what? He says, you fat and you lazy. And he said, Charles, you're fat uh, and you can't work hard. You can't play basketball in the NBA at 290, 300, 295, 300 pounds. So this guy who was already one of all-time greats says, I'll meet you every morning. I'll meet you every night. And he made me lose. He said, let's lose 10 pounds. So I get to 290. I'm starting to feel better. I get to 280, 270. And now I'm starting to get to play. I get to 260 and I get to 250. And this guy may help me lose 50 pounds and turn me into an all-star and a hall of famer. And, uh, and Chris, you, you've been around guys, you've seen guys eat their way out the league before, yeah. uh, because they didn't have a discipline to lose the weight and get in shape. And I, and I've seen that 10, 15 times in the NBA get drafted by the Sixers was the greatest thing for me because uh, Moses was great to me and make me lose all that weight. Dr. J talked to me about saving my money. Uh, you know, because, you know, the last thing you want to be is one of these damn idiots who on TV now boxing, getting knocked out and <laughs> doing stupid shit because they don't waste all their money. Yeah, I mean. You know, they, yeah, Dr. J taught me to son. So, Dr. J, I had like I had like seven cars. Uh, Dr. J said, son, how many of those cars you can you drive at the same time? I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, why do you have seven or eight cars? I was like, uh, I like them. He says, Son, you know this money got to last you the rest of your life. Yeah. And I said, okay. He says, we're coming over today. And I'm like, okay. So they all the guys came over and they took all my cars back and said, hey, save your damn money, Rook. You can have they said, pick one car. We're taking the rest of them back to the dealership so you can get your damn money back. Because you don't, you son, you don't need seven cars. That's that's money wasted. He says, and it's not the fact that you can't afford the cars. Yeah. That was his message. He says, it's not the fact that you can't afford seven cars. It's the fact those six of these cars could be in your bank account and stocks and things like that and grow. And in five, 10, 15, 20 years, it'll be worth a lot of money. It ain't worth, it's worth zero money sitting in your damn part in your house, at your house. So getting drafted by the six is Moses getting me in shape. Doc talked to me about saving my money. Uh, they taught me how to dress, you know, cause you know, rookies, you know, we always wearing warm up suits everywhere because we don't have really have a bunch of clothes. And he yeah, like, son, yeah. He, he <laughs> we like, used to get on just... rookies about going to the mall in their issue gear, like, bro. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah we know yeah. you're on an NFL team, dude. You're huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that that was it. Like we could, like you know, you're young and dumb. We couldn't wait to get to the mall in our Sixers shit. <laughs> like, yo, man, say, hey, hey, hey. We know you're on the team. You don't go to the mall. <laughs> you're tall as fuck, stuff. man. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah they, everybody. Yeah, you don't even wear hey, helmets yeah. in your sport. You don't need to wear your issue gear. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a, it's the same in every sport. It's hilarious. Yeah, like no man, Doc's like nah. I remember the first time they took me shopping, Chris. Yeah, they took me to a place in Philly called Boyd's. Boyd's, I love Boyd's. I still yeah. sh I shop at Boyd's. Yeah, so they take me shopping. They buy me about twelve suits. They buy me about ten to fifteen sports coats. I get to build this like thirty five thousand dollars. I was like. 
I was I haven't even made a dime yet. <laughs> and, and, and it was $35,000. Yeah. I'll never forget that. It was a guy named Ralph Jaffe who was always taking care of me. And I spent like $35,000. And I remember calling my agent. I said, yo, man, I, I put a credit card thing, uh, blah, 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 blah. He said, well, how much is it? I said, 35000 He said, what did you buy? I said, they made me buy a bunch of suits and sports coats and blazers yeah. and everything. They told me I dress like a, a bomb because I wear warm-up suits everywhere. They said, this is professional basketball. You got to dress like a professional. And we still laugh about that story to this day. I was like, I remember calling my mom and grandmother like, uh, I spent $35,000 a day. And my grandmother and grandmother had never made more than $20,000 yeah. in their, their whole life. They're like, are you crazy? Hell yeah. Like, they made me do it, Mom. I had no no choice. Well, it's no. Hopefully that was after losing the 50 pounds and not before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you yeah, have to make a return you got to make a return and get new suits. That's the hardest part about retiring in the NFL is luckily I'm a podcaster, so I don't need suits in this studio. By the way, we call this Studio J as well. Chuck. Studio, okay, I like okay. it. Yeah, I like it. But, but yeah, I wait. Uh, I, listen, that's a good thing. Hey, listen, I left a lot of material on the floor, too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> so I, now, I, you need, I, now you need the suits every night. So yeah, so. now I need the suits every day. Now, but now you get every like Now I got a lot of money. I can afford to go out and, and just get a bunch of suits. But that time when I wrote that, when I you put my credit card down, my man said $35,000. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, dude. Hey, how about that first club night when we do like a rookie dinner, your, your, uh, your rookie year in the NFL? My rookie dinner ticket was twenty one grand. At uh, at the, I didn't even know you could spend that at a fucking Fleming's. Fleming's isn't Morton's. It's not Ruth Chris Park City. Like Fleming's is a tear down. No offense to Fleming's, but I didn't know we could spend twenty one. And the problem is, everybody starts buying the Louis bottles. Uh, you you get to you like. Hey, first of all, you drink damn Ripple. Why are you getting Opus and yeah, damn dude, You got no class. I know you got you no got, class. Yeah, you, you got no class. And all of a sudden, you got Silver Oak, Camus, yeah, dude, Opus. Man, dude, you drink Ripple and Thunderbird, but now because I'm paying, you getting a good yeah. shit. Hey, and everybody, you know, they they're so formal too. Like, yes, I'll take an appetizer, I'll take a steak, I'll take our uh, oven roasted potatoes, and oh, again, yeah. they want some creamy brulee for dessert. Like, they get the whole kid and caboodle when you're fucking paying for I'll it. I'll try the foie gras. Like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah, well, like, you, the like fuck a year is. ago, we were all drinking Mad Dog 2020 <laughs> and eating ramen in a dorm room, and now, like, all of a sudden, I, I gotta buy Opus for a bunch of these motherfuckers that are four years removed yeah, from college. Oh, my God. I'm sitting there, they're like, yeah, I'll take uh, I'll take some silver oak. I'm yeah, like, silver oak. Yeah, what's, what's that? Uh, That's some good stuff. Oh, I'll take a bottle of Camus. Oh well, we got to wash it down with some champagne. Oh you yeah. Got in the, you got in the crystal. Uh, well. You know, Chuck, I'm not a wine drinker. The only like when I'm at somewhere good and I feel like I'm on the spot to look like I'm rich and have taste. I am rich, but I don't have like a good taste. So. What I'll do is I'll just pull one of those bottles of wine that I used to have to buy for the vets. That's the only thing I remember. Opus, Camus, and fucking Silver Oak. That, oh, that's yes. the three. That's the three. I got a, I, I got a friend who's big in Napa. His name is uh, Don Kowalski. He's one of my best friends for like 30-some years. He says, Camus, Silver Oak, Opus. Uh, 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 any one of those three, you're good. Uh, you're very good. It, it, people, these people who like wine, gonna like one of those three. Can y'all uh, sip they, a little bit on inside the uh, NBA? No, because it's too long of a night. Like, cause we're on from like seven to eight to two in the morning. Yeah, cause 
two cups is I mean, going to turn to three cups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, it's, it's, I tell, because people always ask me, like, do you have a drink on the show? I said, dude, we're there for fucking six hours. Mm-hmm. First of all, you're already tired after about four hours anyway. Right. And if you start drinking, you're going to be slurring. The Shaq always mumbling anyway. Uh, so maybe he so should you, drink. It'd be harder can, to figure can, it out. Can you imagine if he started drinking and he mumbling and drinking? <laughs> but it's, listen, I, I, listen, I would love to sit there and drink all night because I love to drink. But you can't drink for six hours. Because you go on TV at 1 o'clock and from 1 to 2. Yeah. And like, if Ernie asks you a question or you're trying to say some shit, and you've been, if you're hammered, it ain't gonna come out good, especially nowadays. I mean, these fuckers out here now are sitting around waiting for you to say something wrong nowadays. Well, that's the next thing. You say you're gonna be done by sixty. You're fifty-eight now. Uh, we need more more than two more years of Charles Barkley. Does it nah, have something man. to do with what you've coined cancel culture? Which no, 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 not really. Okay. I had already made no. no. Fuck cancel culture. Oh, fuck all them fuckers out there who, like, you can't even, if you can't take a joke, fuck you. Yeah, but Chuck, uh, nobody's getting canceled because, like, literally, I think you're bulletproof. Like, I, so your case in point, there's no such real thing as cancel culture, in my opinion. I mean, uh, there's well, a well, there's but, an outrage, but it's hard to cancel somebody, but you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, but listen, I think that most people, I see, see, this one thing I hate when I'm talking to the executive, they're like, well, uh, they said content context doesn't matter. I'm like, yes, fucking context does fucking matter. Context, does. Um, context, but they say no because uh, some asshole out here wants to complain about something. Well, they can go fuck themselves. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but no, for me, to be honest with you, I had already made up my mind. Sixty is a good round number because I think you have to be realistic. Like when when is the age where you're gonna start shitting and pissing on yourself? Um, <laughs> So the last thing I want to do is for me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the last the last thing I want to do is work to the day, work till I get old, and then I want to start having fun. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm too old to have fun now. <laughs> so I yeah, I'm like, wait, I went to, I worked till I'm 70, but now I'm just shitting and pissing on myself every day. What good is that to have? So I think, okay, you work till you're 60. <laughs> I think I have a little juice left in the tank where I can travel the world. I can still play golf and fish all the time. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, I don't want to work till I'm like 80, 65, 70, 80. And then like, okay, let me enjoy my life. I mean, cause I think you have to have common sense. Like, dude, you're going to fucking die someday. Leave some yeah. room at the end of the runway to have some fun. When did the knees become a problem? I mean, the knees are already a problem, but take us behind the scenes with Kenny's knees and the heroic effort it takes sometimes for him to get on set and do his job. First of all, every time I see Kenny run, I'm like, (laughs) wait, you played in the NBA? Like with with those legs? I mean, first of all, he's the best dude ever, but I'm looking at his legs every time he tries to run. I'm like, how did this dude ever put on an NBA unit? How can you run up and down an NBA court with your knees that bad? They must have felt better back then. I mean, they had to, right? I mean, he's no, definitely... Well, they had to feel yeah, better. Yeah. But I, I guess they like it's like all of our bodies. The older you get, the worse your shit hurt. Yep. Because, uh, like, but but I, I, he's it's hilarious watching him run. Because I'm always telling man, it's just a matter of time. For, if you put a match between your knees, you could strike it, and it, it light up in a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean, it's, you, know, it's, 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 you guys are great. You just, it's a locker room. Like you guys are a locker room, dude. And that's why I think people love it is because the thing I miss about a locker room is we gave each other shit like all the time. And there was no sensitivity. There's nobody I can do that with outside other than my co-host here. 
Yeah, but let me tell you something. Even with your co-host, that's the only man. Ain't nothing like the locker room. Mm-mm. You know, the, the being on the bus, being on the train, being on the plane, everything is fair game. Nobody is sensitive. Ain't nothing like it. Ain't nothing you can really do in your life to replicate it once you retire. Yeah. But like, especially <clears throat> like, it's nothing like it. I, yeah. I tell people, uh, I can't even explain it unless you actually played. You can't even explain it to a regular person, like how much fun it is to be around the guys. Like when I played in Philly, we'd be on the train going to New York or D.C. or on the bus going to New York or D.C. And like we just give each other shit for two hours. And when you go east to west and it's like a five hour trip and half the guys are playing cards, half the guys are playing chess or checkers and you're just giving each other shit and it's the greatest thing ever. And some of those guys, like I talk to those guys at least once a week, like a Mahorn or Mike Jaminski or Jason Williams or Elliot Perry mm-hmm. or Dan Marley, you know, just talking to those guys, just like, and every time you see them, it's like a fucking family reunion. Yeah. Uh, it's like a family reunion. You know, I, I've had girls say to me sometimes, I think you would rather hang out with the guys and hang out with me. I'm like, is that a trick fucking question? (laughs) (laughs) Is that a trick fucking question? (laughs) Of course, I'd rather hang out with the guys. I said, that's no, and that's no slight to you. I said, women, women can't really figure out like being in a locker room. I says, Hey, 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 calm down. That's not a slight. There's nothing like being in the locker room with the guys. And I'm sure and WNBA players would tell dudes the same things. Like, I want to be with my my girls. Like, I want to be with yeah. the people that I hang out with. Like, I'm used to not, nobody giving a shit in that setting. So I guess the yeah. question is, when you eventually ride off in the sunset, hopefully in 10 years, I hope you change your mind. But, like, let's say you change your, you don't change your mind. Who's somebody that you think would do really well replacing you or joining that crew? I loved Draymond when he came on. I thought he was so good, dude. I don't know who else is kind of on the radar. You, you, you know what's really weird about that, Chris? We bring in people all the time. You know, we got two networks. Yeah. Uh, NBA TV is yeah. right beside yeah. us. But what's really interesting about your question is they always ask us about it. And we bring in a bunch of people because NBA TV is on seven days a week. Right. But what's really interesting is how certain guys who you think are going to be great on TV – just suck on TV. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of funny and sad. Like, guys I really like, we'll bring them in, and they'll get in front of the camera, and they'll be like this. Yeah. Yo, man, you have to fucking talk. You're on TV. <laughs> or, or they'll answer like, what do you think of that play? Well, it was a good play. Like, <laughs> what, motherfucker? You, you have to put sentences together. They, they, we don't do one-word answers. And you can't be too but stiff. I, you can't, well, but I'm telling you, some guys who are really good guys who got great personalities, we bring them in and they are the biggest stiffs in the world. It drives us crazy. And they're like, they're like, oh, he, this guy's going to be great on television. And they get on TV and they're 100% stiffs. And uh, Draymond, he, he's fun to bring on. But like, I'm talking about guys who are retired guys we bring on. Because like I said, we, we, we have to fill seven days a week on NBA TV. So, and they're on like, 12 to 15 hours a day. Right. We, we bring guys on all the time, Chris, and they suck. Yeah. And, they, and we're like, yo, man, why did you freeze up? 
oh, you know, man, this is not my thing, man. I'm like, yo, man, you talk all the fucking time. All you got to do is be yourself. This is a, we're not, we're not making going with the fucking win here. We're talking about <laughs> basketball. Has, has a player ever confronted you about analysis about that player? Because I know you guys go hard on players. Oh, a hundred percent. I've had, I've had calls from players, coaches, agents call me the most. And I said, wait a minute, tell me what was unfair about what I said. And they never said it was unfair. They just hated that you said it. Because, like, man, first of all, I don't ever want to say anything bad about a player, but I'm not going to give up my credibility with somebody plays like shit or do something stupid, and I get on TV and act like it didn't happen. Like, dude, that's my job. Yeah. Like, but I said, wait, you just saw your guy play bad, and I said it. I'll give you an example. The late, great Kobe Bryant, remember the game he wouldn't take a shot? Yeah, faintly, uh, but there's not a, a lot of those. Yeah, but so one game he uh, in the second half against the Phoenix Suns, he didn't take but one shot. He was trying to prove a point. He didn't have any help. So we had the game, and I said, hey, listen, I always respect Kobe Bryant, but I did not like what he did tonight. He went a whole half and just was trying to prove a point that I didn't have any help. He only took one shot, and that was not cool. So Kobe starts texting me, motherfucking me. And we go back and forth for like three hours, Chris. And it's like between it's like between one o'clock and four o'clock in the morning. I'm like, yo, man, pick up the fucking phone and call me. But he's like, fuck you, fuck you, motherfucker, Baba. I mean, and we go back and forth for like three hours in the middle of the night. And, it, and we laughed about it later because he was pissed because I called him out. We had that game. And you know, and, and he was trying to prove a point. He was wrong for what he did, but he was trying to prove a point. But he, when he, he's texting me back and forth, calling me every freaking name in the book. It was hilarious. Just a 4 a.m. like cuss out session between Chuck and Cope. Yeah. Motherfucker, you don't know what I was doing. <laughs> Bob, fuck you, Bob. I'm like, yo, man, I know what you were doing. I, I sit there. We broadcast the game. You took one shot in the second half. You were trying to prove a point. Fuck you. Fuck you, motherfucker. I was not. My, oh, my God. We're going back and forth. But like I said, we made up and laughed about it later. But like I said, I get calls from players and coaches and um, uh, agents all the time. But I'm going to do my job. I yeah. mean, my job is to the fans. And have you ever had to apologize? Like in your heart, you were like, yeah, that was over the top. And I will say, I'm sorry. Mm, great question. Um, I don't think and so. And not to the women of San Antonio either. <laughs> yeah, not to them big old women in San Antonio. <laughs> hey, guess what, Chuck? We have a stat for you here. You ready for this? We might leave yeah. you on this. I got one more question after this. I know you got to go play golf. But San Antonio, fourth most obese city in the, in the NBA. Can you guess... The three ahead of San Antonio. I think one of the cities is going to be in Texas. So I'm going to say Dallas. Reed, did it make the cut? Did Dallas make the cut? Dallas did not make the cut. What about Houston? Houston did not make the cut. Wow, I'm trying to think. Yeah, you're going to be shocked by one. You get one more guess, and then I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to say Atlanta. (laughs) No, it's Detroit. Wow, Memphis barbecue. Wow, okay, yeah. I'd be I'd be obese in Memphis. And then what was the third read? Cleveland, Cleveland. Can you believe that? That's from the CDC, man. Well, you know the bad thing about it; those teams got uh, Memphis got a good team, 
But so so I'm never gonna go to those cities again because they got Memphis got a good team, but those other two, they got bad basketball teams. <laughs> my life, my life is dictated where I travel by how good your basketball team is. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm probably not going to Detroit yep. anytime soon. Okay. Or Cleveland. That's bad news soon. for possibly the first pick in the NBA draft here coming up. Maybe Cade Cunningham. Hey, 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 you know what? I was watching that the other night. And we were actually joking about it in the studio last night. Can you imagine Kate Cunningham? You've been waiting your whole life to go to the NBA, and you're going to be the number one pick. And you sitting there watching that shit intently, like, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, this city, come on, this city, come on, this city. And then you're like, oh, fuck, it's Detroit. <laughs> you think in the back of Ben Wallace's mind, he's sitting there like, man, I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, that's exactly what he was thinking, like. <laughs> Oh, Last shit, question, because this was folklore to me, and Frank Burkowski yeah. said to say hello. He said he was with he was with you on many a, a, a crazy night, but he said he wasn't with you when you threw the guy through the glass window. But when I was a kid, I just remember you said you weren't a role model, but you were a superhero to me. And I no, just always you. imagined this really cool scene of you throwing this bad guy through a, a glass window. But I always imagined it underhand. Did you throw him overhand? Or did you throw that guy underhand through the plank plank glass window? Underhand. (laughs) Hey, you know, Frank is Frank and Larry Kostoriak. Larry. Two of the two two of the greatest dudes I've ever been around. I talked to Frank the other day, actually. He's the best. Yeah. And you know, you know, so I'm sitting at this bar and and the owner says, Charles and Clyde, and we had like like another three or four people with us. He said, Won't you guys wait? until everybody gets out of here because it's going to be hectic. We're down in Orlando on that Church Street Station area. He said, y'all just hang around. I'll kick everybody out. Then y'all can just walk out. So all of a sudden, and I said, first of all, I said, that's a great idea. So all of a sudden, <laughs> I had my back there, and all of a sudden, I get wet. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened here? And Clyde says, that guy threw a drink on you. And I get up, and I chase this motherfucker through the bar. <laughs> And by the time I get him, Chris, I'm shit. I catch him right by the front door and I'm shaking this motherfucker. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. And the cop is right there. He said, Charles, I saw the whole thing. Let it go. And I said, yo, man, I can't fucking let it go. I can't let it go. So I threw that motherfucker out the window (laughs) and I'm like, he says, Charles, I got to arrest you now. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I couldn't let that <laughs> shit go. I, so I was like, so he just put the handcuffs on me, took me on down. It was the most uh, like mutually respected arrest of all time. It was like, you know what? Yeah. Like, I, I know where I'm going when I do this, but I just got to do it. I would just, it was such a Terminator scene. Like Arnold throws somebody through a glass window and just like the boot, the sound of the boots walking up and just standing over yeah. him, the cracking of glass. That's the way I saw yeah. it in my head. Yeah, and this and this and then people are like, well, Charles Barker throws a little guy through a window, and I says, what he think he was gonna fucking grow by the time the drink hit me? When he, <laughs> he he was fucking little when he threw the drink. He should have realized I was I was a big dude, but fucking beforehand, and he should have realized back in the day he couldn't fucking outrun me. He could outrun me today, but that back then he couldn't. That's the what. Hey, that's the what. So if you meet Charles Barkley, who we can attest is the coolest guy in the world, when you meet him, he's exactly who you think he is. Everybody's got their do's and don'ts. Don't don't throw a fucking glass of ice on him. Is there anything else people should know about meeting Charles Barkley? Hey man, I'm gonna always be nice. I'm gonna always be cool. I, listen, I tell people, man. Hey, I'm just a. I'm. I'm I, I drove it. 
a stupid basketball. I don't think I'm <laughs> the greatest thing in the world. I was blessed to have a great life because of that stupid little ball. And I'm going to treat you good. I'm just lucky, man. I appreciate it. Chuck's the man, dude. Hey, Charles, hope you come back sometime, and uh, we love watching you. So please push that to like sixty-five or seventy. Just, uh, just think. I about appreciate it. it. I appreciate it, brother. Hey, anytime you need me, let me know. Okay, man. Talk to All you right, soon. You guys, you have fairways and greens. Here I come. There we go. Go <laughs> hit them straight, buddy. Before we go to bad, let me just say that was really good. Creamy burlet, man. Yeah, you. That was your favorite part of the interview, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, what. I think we could have asked him what he had for breakfast and it would have been entertaining. Yeah. He's just that guy. We got to have him on again. We got to have him on again. Let's finish with some bad here. I'll start. Okay. Paul George, you know, that whole scene at the end of the game the other night, just here's what makes it worse. Like he has just been through so much in LA as a Clipper. And I don't even happen to have to like Paul George. I don't even know if he's a good guy, bad guy. You know, he has crossed into that. I don't feel good for that guy. Like, echelon ben simmons is the president of like uh you know the nba sympathy club right now from my uh standpoint you know maybe the vice president is pandemic p um, playoff p playoff p pandemic p it goes back and forth week to week the thing i hate about it is he's a good basketball player like he really is um it just hasn't worked out in la so much uh and in big moments at times he's caught a lot of heat uh, not to mention the last two minutes of that game the other night took 33 minutes. So it was an eternity. The game was on psilocybe cubensis, Reed. The fuck? Did I say that right? Reed's crunchy ass. He knows exactly what that is. Reed, you crunchy ass. Oh, crunchy ass Reed. Crunchy last, ass the last looking two, Reed. The last two minutes of the game took two hours. So playoff P gets up there with a chance to ice it. They're up one, right? And playoff P, he's still playoff P at this point. He's playing a great game. I think he scored like 16 in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, he's showing up. He, 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 he swole up the other day without Kawhi. Like the, the tide is turning on a guy who really took it on the chin last last year when we were all locked up in our houses and throwing tomatoes at this cat online. And then he's finally pulling himself out. He's got a chance to not ice the game, but put it in a tough spot uh, for the Suns to, to come down and hit a really big shot with, I think, eight seconds to go or whatever it was. Anyways, he misses the first. And it's loud in the uh, the Purple Palace, as we call it. I don't think you can call it that anymore, but uh, it's loud there. And now he's starting to morph into Pandemic P. He takes the second shot. Not only does he miss it, I think he was running up to foul the guy who got a rebound. Did you notice that? I did. Why? You're, you know more basketball than me. Is there a strategy there that I'm missing? I think we take for granted, and maybe you can speak to this as a former man in the arena, how difficult it is to stay aware of time. Yes. Score. Yes. Situational awareness, I think, is very underrated in any sport. It, it totally is, and we see examples of it all the time, and it's happened to me plenty of times. If the GOAT can forget in Tom Brady what down it is, you know, it could have happened to college Chris Weber, you know, the timeout. I don't know, maybe somebody who knows more than me could tell me what he was doing, but it looked to me like he was running up and thinking about fouling that cat, which means when you're not able to focus on like what's going on in the game, there's a lot going on in your mind. And I think there was a lot going on in that cat's mind. He missed two free throws, and then obviously the game ends. 
when you fuck something up in a football game and the result of your mistake ends in like a big play on the road, it's one of the most deafening, disorienting things that you could ever experience. And I can remember like, you know, extending a drive on third down and then the next play is a touchdown or jumping off sides and Aaron Rodgers, you know, completes a bomb to Jordy Nelson and everybody's going nuts or, you know, hell, missing a sack. I can remember in my, one of my last games of my career, I've got fucking two against Deshaun Watson. Uh, I beat a tight end, I loop around Fletch and I miss a wide open sack on Deshaun Watson. It's not the first one I've ever missed. Uh, it's not the last one. Well, it was the last one, unfortunately. But, you know, here I am with a chance for a hat trick. Miss him. Michael Bennett misses him. We're laying on the ground like, what the fuck's happening? And when you're on the ground, you're just judging the crowd. This is the home game at the link. And Deshaun, you know, throws us off like two backpacks. Completes a bomb 50 yards down the field. And so I'm laying on the ground and I hear it get quiet. I can only imagine how small Paul George felt when Aiton caught that lob with 0.9 seconds to go. I mean, it was pandemonium in there, and you know that the only way that play is possible, now there were things that transpired between the free throws and that, but the only way that's possible is because of your mistake. So yeah, that's bad. And I'm starting to feel bad for Paul George. This is the biggest example of like, don't go chasing waterfalls, dude. Like things were good in Indiana. Just make sure you got Kawhi with you if you're going in, in search of waterfalls. Yeah. He's got, he's got Zubats out there and Pat Bev and yeah. Terrence Mann is the new star. I mean, he's, he, needs, he, needs, he needs this guy. So now we've, we've gone from hating Paul George to now maybe feeling bad for him and saying he needs more help. They like but he also needs to hit his free throws, which sucks. So, I mean, yeah, that, that, they've been down before and that series could certainly, um, especially if you figure out what the hell's wrong with Kawhi, to your point, that series could turn. It sure could. The game's already been decided by the time you're hearing this, but the, the Clips are a one-point dog tonight against the Suns. We have a Chris Long effect post-recording update. Paul George went off for 27 points, 15 rebounds, and 8 assists, and the Clippers win in Game 3 against the Suns last night. Chris says, touche to playoff P. That is all. You got any bad? Besides you not wearing a mask? Uh, yeah, I have the the most hilarious to me bad that there is. Jay Williams, who was at the aforementioned Hyatt. Oh, so in we're in ugly now. We're in ugly. This is my bad ugly. This yeah, is just fu- uh, this is fugly. This is fugly. Yeah. Jay tweets that um, with the news that Udoka is the new head coach in Boston. He he tweets the and it's him. He tweets the first head coach of color for the Celtics, dot, 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 pound, dot, 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 ampersand, and even more importantly, he is one talented individual who has paid his dues. Now, the thing about Ime Udoka is that he is not the first uh, coach of color for the Celtics. There was, uh, off the top of my head, and I'm not going through a list here, Doc Rivers, yeah, Bill Russell. Yeah, the Bill Russell one's tough, and Doc was right in our lifetime. But, okay. So you screw up. Yeah. That's when you say, my bad. That sure is funny. Whoops. And instead, Jay Williams tweets, quote, as it relates to the Boston Celtics tweet that came from my account a couple of hours ago, dot, 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 space. (laughs) I did not post that ampersand, and my passcode has now been changed. So the hacker did yeoman's work 
and <laughs> to just fuck up a, a, a detail about a coaching hire it's spectacularly but and doing so in the exact same writing style that that jay employs with you think the, it could be a hacker because this is like some i mean think about it zero percent what could i believe less than this being a hacker zero like a really chance. good hacker maybe uh Maybe it is a hacker. I don't know. I no. mean, obviously, it's not a hacker, but I'm just fucking playing play devil's advocate. Cat, you, cat goes, word, ellipsis, space, next word, and uses ampersands. Never seen anything like it. it <laughs> Never seen anything like it. Which I think, uh, to your point, brings him back into the conversation of, of biggest Duke, Duke guy player ever. And I love, every time I've been around Jay, he's so cool. He was very cool in so, Minneapolis. Like, but, you know, people make decisions on social media that are just that are just dumb sometimes, and I felt like this was a dumb decision, man. Like, you can be wrong, but the, you feel the heat on you because of the KD thing, like, last month. So he was kind of on strike three, probably, in his mind, and was like, fuck, dude. I mean, you can't use the hacker thing there. You can use a hacker on a dick pic. You can use a hacker on like some just terrible word. He's being careful maybe. I did not post that. So maybe someone next to him posted it. I think maybe his alibi is that I wasn't hacked. It was his guy. But I have a guy that writes tweets for me and I gave him carte blanche to to tweet about. that. That might be if I'm thinking a couple steps ahead. And I'm a good crisis manager, um, Jay, so if you need me, just hit me up, dude, for a price. For a price. I'll give you a brilliant excuse like that one. And by the way, J.J. Redick on last pod said it was Wojo and Chris Collins for most Duke ever. Wojo couldn't agree more. I think Jay is in that conversation. Yeah. A little Shane Battier for me. Shane Battier is up there. In our childhoods. And uh, I just think Kyle Singler is up there oh, too. Yeah. For me. You know who the most John Duke, Shire. You know who the most Duke guy of all time is? Tyler Hansborough. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the most fucked up thing about it is he didn't go there, but boy, could I see him as a legend in in Durham? Am mm-hmm. I off there? No, you're not far off. I just feel like he's he's a Duke guy more than he's even a UNC guy. He's uh yeah. Well, he's white. All right. <laughs> there we go. Cogazoid. <laughs> yeah, so that's rather ugly what happened to Jay. I got a uh, what happened to Jay. This is an unfortunate thing that happened to Jay. Condolences there. Ugly for me. These uniforms, these these all-star game uniforms, they are trippy ugly. Like it's your 91st baseball all-star game. We've watched every single one for years, okay? Oh yeah. Yep. Don't we love them. it. It's an appointment viewing thing for us and um you know, the pitches and the, the pitches and the hitting and the guys that they the have fielding. They have how could you forget the fielding? Cuz most times you hit it there's somebody fielding it and and the cool thing is the guys out there fielding they haven't fielded together before. That's right. So it's, it's the best of the best. They're wearing different uniforms like it looks like when you line up all the Wheaties box little mini helmets next to each other. They're all in the same field at the same time. It's mm. very cool. It's mm-hmm. very cool. We watch a lot of all-star games. This all-star game is going to be hideous. These jerseys, you wait 90 years to get rid of like the tried and true, like, hey, we don't actually have all-star jerseys. Everybody just wears their normal get-ups. Which looks cool. Which looks cool. It's different. It's unique. You have 90 years to get this right, and you roll out a fucking Henley. <laughs> well, they roll out a Henley, and dude. And it gets it's, worse. They call it a jersey. 
Okay. I just want to say something that I don't understand what's going on with the, the, the trimming, the floral trimming. I thought it was a camo thing from a ways away, and I was like, okay, they love the troops in Colorado. I get it. I think that's the best part. I, is the game in Hawaii? Is it like the Colorado State Flower? Is there something like that? Or am I dumping on a detail in the uniform that was born out of some memorializing of somebody incredibly popular in Colorado, and I'm going to regret it because I feel like that's how it always goes. Like, hey, fuck those flowers on that uniform. Oh, well, a guy died. I feel like that's the only way that they're going to get me to to renege on this being a, a you know a dumpster fire of a a uniform and i just want to say this one thing the logo on the back of the hat is fire it is absolutely fire it is a star and the bottom of the star is a mountain range and in the middle of the star is you know MLB all-star game or whatever they should have gone 90s nba you know, desert all-star game, put that big logo on the front of a standard button-down. Yeah. Standard button-down. We don't need to Henley this thing. Just mountain from like hip to shoulder. Maybe they're finding out that people are buying more Henleys. <sighs> I think the logo is actually very dope, but you put it on the tiniest place. What we have on these Henleys is like C-O-R. Or like ATL. That's the unique part about everybody's getup is we get the abbreviation for the cities and they call it a good. I mean, like, I don't know what's going on here. In vertical with the logo on top of the second letter. <laughs> it looks hideous. It looks like they made a Frankenstein of other of different uniforms. Is it though? Is it so bad that it's good? That it might actually be good. We need to order some. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I would have never bought uh, just somebody's jersey. Where's my TOR for my boys who are uh, 30 what, what some? Were they 17 and, and 16? 30 some and 30 some. <laughs> hey, I'm close. Yeah, you're I'm close. close with, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. We're 37 and 35. That means we've won four in a row. Yeah, that's, that's a good. true fan. I hope that nobody died uh, in the making of these uniforms because if the floral pattern is something that memorializes somebody, I, I take this whole thing back. But otherwise, this thing's it's bad. So that should be, that's pretty much everything. Reed, you, you got anything? I do have something. Mm. Crunchy ass. Oh, crunchy ass. Psilocybe oh, crunchy ass. A big psilocybe cubensis over there. I ain't never heard of that. I've never heard of that either. So, hat tip here to Matthew <laughs> Perpetua. Just, yeah. Just always Matthew. Just per yeah, forever. Like, perpetually Matthew. It's not changing. Can't call him Matt. <laughs> he tweeted out the schedule list of shows at Madison Square Garden in mm -hmm. 1987. Mm -hmm. He proposed the question, if you could see two of these shows, which would you choose? The shows are... Oh, boy. Oh, I'll read them I, fast. Watch okay. how fast I can read them. <laughs> Poison, Iron Maiden, Eric Clapton, Huey Lewis in the News, Jose Feliciani, Luther Vandross, Brian Adams, The Hooters, Duran Duran, Erasure... Erasure, there's that word again. Mm -hmm. Paul Simon, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Madonna, Bon Jovi, Billy Idol, The Cult, The Cure, Beastie Boys, Marley Crew, White Snake, Tina Turner, Wang Chung, Roger Waters, David Bowie, Whitney Houston, The Grateful Dead, The Post, YouTube Pink Floyd, Eddie Murphy, The Cars Rush, Yes, Depeche Mode. Here's what we should do. I think I know the two you would pick. It's so easy. Oh, really? I think. I, I think I know. Okay. Well, now you're changing because I... No, I, I haven't written or I down. Could be, I could be saying it's so easy to throw you off the scent. I think that you would pick mm -hmm. 
The Grateful Dead, and Pink Floyd. Yeah, it's easy. Oh, I'm actually proud of myself because I don't know music. I, I could have spent, spent, oh my God. Pink Floyd played uh, the fifth through the seventh. Grateful Dead played, uh, they played two shows there. Uh, yeah, that would have been pretty freaking cool. That cleanup crew after three nights, just contact high. I mean, I think there was a lot of reefer in many of these. Uh, They're going home looking for the Doritos. I don't think so. I think I, I don't think Bud was that good in the 80s, mm. in my opinion. Okay, who but would that's I? That's just my opinion. I was just I a little kid. See? You? Killer. I had it down to... Uh, here were my four. Okay. I have Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers there. Do you want me to respond after each one? Yeah. You're correct. Okay. Okay, so the next one um, is going to be... I don't think you're a big David Bowie fan like that, so I'm going to pass on David Bowie. I In my final four was Whitney Houston. I thought that'd be quirky of you to just want to go watch like a, a singer uh, for a few hours. Paul Simon was up there for me, but I'll go Clapton. Okay. Tom Petty and Paul Simon. Okay, I got it. Well, in well your, sort of yeah, in my top four. Of, yeah. Okay, that's Partial good. That's credit. good. We're we're fucking we're tracking pretty good yeah, on each other. Just friends, man. Good just friends, 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 friends. You weren't gonna see uh, Brian Adams and the Hooters. You're you're Joey and I'm Chandler. Don't yeah. <laughs> Nobody picked. I hope somebody the saves boys us from the bell. DMC? No, dude. No, no. That's too much energy for me. It's too much energy for me. If I want energy. If I want to have an energetic night, well, Pink Floyd's going to be an energetic night. My third, I mean, probably Roger Waters. I'd probably go see Roger Waters. White Snake. Um, I got to say, there's not a lot there that I'm just, I, I know it, it's a cool thing on the internet probably to be like, oh, it's so hard to decide. That's why this is such a tough tweet. It's I pretty give, easy for me. I can't give respect to Macon because the 1987 tour for Paul Simon would be his Graceland tour. Uh, of course it would. Yeah. Which would yeah. which is one of the best albums of all time. No doubt. That factored in, Reed. Thank I'm you. I'm gonna admit something. I'm not a huge Paul Simon guy, but not out of like you know, mounds of, of effort. It just it's just never stuck. So I'll try. I'll try a little harder. Graceland, just play it through. Okay. I'll play it through. Paul Simon, Graceland. Hey, we're gonna let you guys play through. How long do you think this is on the tape measure? about 16 inches 15 inches yeah and if i'm being honest with you 15 and a quarter inches so really well done thank you i appreciate it. you want to try one more sure sure close the show oh this is so easy hold got on this okay, tape measure is tall as fuck right now he's barely able to hold it in place he's got his elbow blocked almost it looks like it goes all right backwards. come on all right okay uh hold on a second <laughs> I have been told before that my elbows it's are kind of creepy. Funny. It's, all right, all right. So when you're in a game, are you don't like go team, and you just keep them at a right angle? When a team I scores, wanna, when your team scores a touchdown, right. you just go right angle. Look at that picture of him celebrating on the court and see if his elbows are just like inverted. Um, That's that is what people say. Inverted. Why are your elbows are inverted? inverted? All right, this is a tough one. If I can get this one, I mean, I. I'm going to say it's four foot one. <laughs> Jesus. It's four foot two. Oh my God. I'm good at this. 50 inches. Best distance judger. Look, they're even at a right angle. 
They're at a right angle. Go look at making Gunner on Google image search. You got a pretty solid Google image search. Mm. The nice thing about getting famous later in life is you don't have shitty pictures of you from the most awkward years of your life. You know what I mean? Like all your pictures are very good. They're curated. I wouldn't, you said the word famous. I don't know that I'm famous. You're pretty famous. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all pictures of hey, me, best, you, best, and houses. Best judge of distance in the podcast game here. It is. I challenge, I challenge anybody. Horizontal and vertical. You can do it both. I know my way around a tape measure. Look at that. Do remember, a lot of work around the house. Remember when these all used to be on YouTube, these podcasts? Yeah, people are asking them for, the, for them to come back. Two hours long. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been on some panels. That's right, cowboy. If you want to Google, if you want to Google search, uh, image search making, uh, he's on there. That's right. It's a nice blue suit. A little Roy Williams collection for you. Y'all take care. I'm gonna fight you with my friend.